Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey guys, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. You can hear other people while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio, a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear other people, you have a chance to win some money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store, download it, it's free, and it takes just a few seconds. Then, during registration, hit the promo code box. It should say, tell us how you heard about Stitcher. Where it says that, you enter other people, and when you do that, you're automatically entered to win 100 bucks. It's that simple. The latest episode of the show will then be waiting for you in your favorites, and you'll get access to lots of other amazing content too, always available on demand with no syncing. That's the Stitcher app. Go download it at stitcher.com free of charge or get it in the App Store. It's available for your iPhone, your Android, or your tablet computer. And don't forget to enter the promo code other people when you register. This is an app. You can apply it. Go and get it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one person at just one time. Okay, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is happening in outer space. This is unfolding in time. Thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. My name is Brad Listy, and uh, today I'm going to start off with a special announcement. A special announcement. I've got some good news on the technology front and uh, some small changes in terms of how I'm going to be rolling out content and sharing the podcast content. So uh, here it is. This program is now offering premium content access via our premium page and via iOS and Android apps. So what does that mean? It means that other people, this podcast now has its own app and you can get it in the app store. You can get it at Amazon in the Android marketplace, whatever you call it. Uh, so if you have an iPhone or an iPad or an iPod or all of the above, or if you have an Android device of any kind, you can get the other people app for free. So go do that. Go do it right now. Get the app. It's free. It's nice. You'll like it. Okay. And then here's the change. And please stay with me here. In order for me to keep doing this program, uh, I unfortunately have to make money. It's sad, 
but it's true. I have a child. I spend way too much time on this. And so this is what I'm trying to do. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm giving away 50 free episodes to every listener. So if you're a listener and you've been uh, listening to the show from the beginning, not much is going to change for you. If you've, you know, wherever you happen to start, if you started at the beginning and you've heard every show up to this point, nothing really changes. But if you found the show recently uh, and uh, you want to listen to the deep archives of the show beyond 50 episodes, uh, you can do that by getting a premium content subscription. And that subscription will give you access to every single episode of the show, which you can listen to on the Other People app or via any web browser, wherever you want, whenever you want. Uh, Plus, there is eventually going to be bonus content happening, and you'll have access to that too. So the premium subscription gives you access to everything. Okay? How much does it cost? Uh, Again, the app itself is free. Get it. It's free. And it's a great way to listen to the show, uh, regardless of all this subscription business. New episodes automatically download to the app. Uh, You can save them for listening offline. If somebody calls you on your phone while you're listening, it saves your place. Uh, It's a very cool app. Just trust me. It's a good thing. It's free. And you get 50 episodes free. So if you want the rest, here's what it costs. It's a subscription model. So you can either pay. You have three options. You can pay $1.99 a month. $1.99 a month, or you can pay $4.99 every six months, or you can pay $8.99 for a year. Okay, so that's two bucks a month, uh, which seems like a relatively low price. Uh, And I'm I'm certainly not trying to gouge anyone here. Uh, Or you can pay five bucks twice a year, or nine bucks once a year. And what I'm hoping is that sounds fair. I do two shows a week, they're an hour long. Uh, I'm trying to give you a fair shake here. So hopefully you guys will do this. It would mean a lot to me and it will allow me to continue with this project. So if you want the app, go get it at the app store or in the Android marketplace at Amazon, wherever. If you want access to premium content, you can get it right there in the app. There's actually a prompt in the app and you can click it. It's easy. Uh, or just go to otherpeoplepod.com, the show's website and click on premium access up there in the menu bar at the top. Uh, when you do that, you will be taken over to a site called Libsyn. That's the company that makes the app. They provide customer support. They're experts at this. And uh, once you have that account at Libsyn, uh, you choose your subscription model, and then you're off and running. You type the, you know, you type your info, uh, your username, and your password in your app, and you're done. And you can then listen to the show on your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, your Android device, whatever it is. Uh, one subscription, one app, and you have access across all these different platforms, all for a couple of bucks. So thank you for hearing me out. I appreciate it. Thank you for your support. Get that app. It's free. Have fun with it. And uh, let me know what you think. Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. 
It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Paula Bomer. She is the author of two books. Uh, the first is a story collection called Baby and Other Stories. It is available from Word Riot Press. And her latest book, her debut novel, is called Nine Months, and it is available now from Soho Press. She also runs a small press herself called Sententia Books, and uh, I'm very excited to have her here on the program. Uh, so, yeah, this is it, folks, my conversation with the lovely and talented Paula Bomer. son's room. Uh, I have two sons. I'm, he's 16, and it's disgusting, but I thought it would be the quietest place in the house. Uh, I'm sitting on his bed, which desperately needs sheets to be changed, and, you know, staring at piles of clothing and a guitar. Okay, and then wh where, <laughs> like, where in the country? Are you in New York? I'm in Brooklyn, um, in my tiny little, I have a half-lot house here that we bought 12 years ago. Uh, so we've been living here for in this house for 12 years. I've been in Brooklyn for 22 years. So, um, yeah, that's where I am. Okay. Now, what part of Brooklyn? Like, what are we talking? I, I live in Borham Hill, which 22 years ago, uh, like, was really dangerous but very cheap. I one time carried a woman. Well, I watched after watching her get stabbed. Like, carried her home, called the police. And now, uh, across the street is Michelle Williams, you know, Heath Ledger's widow. So the neighborhood's changed a lot. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, but the, it's the, it's the like moral, downtown Brooklyn. I was going to say, the moral, yeah, the moral of the story is uh, buy wherever it's dangerous and cheap, you know? <laughs> yes. And actually, that's like my motto for other, I have other properties. <laughs> Because it's just, uh, in New York, it's just going to change, uh, constant changing the neighborhoods. But don't you feel like, I mean, this is a this is a question that I ask myself in Los Angeles, like you eventually run out of real estate. Uh, I mean, especially in New York, because there's not as much landmass compared to like Los Angeles County. But, um, you know, even here, well, but, like, where, where do you go? Yeah. Like, where do you go after a while? Like all the artists have, or not all the artists, but a great majority of the artists have been pushed out of Manhattan because of high prices. And then they went well, to... I was pushed out just from being a person, you know. I lived in Manhattan very briefly. But I agree with you, except that Brooklyn is quite big. It's quite big. But it's not like L.A. big. But I, over the 22 years, I've watched the artists. They're now all in the Crown Heights, Sunset Park. And these are neighborhoods that no one even, like, you know, knew about 22 years ago. They were just all immigrant neighborhoods. Sunset Park was primarily Mexican. Carol, uh, Crown Heights is still very um, West Indian. Um, and then it's like, well, this is where I can afford to live, you know? <laughs> so there's still room, you know, it's, uh, and then there's some people who go upstate, which is uh, much more beautiful, but you know, it's not city life. Yeah. And you like the city. Not really. I used to, um, I'm done with it. And I have a house upstate. I just don't get to go there as often. And actually, I'm very productive when I am there as a writer uh, because I have teenagers. And 
they sat me down and they're like, we can't go upstate all the time. I need a social life. Like, I want to go to parties on Friday night. I'm like, are you serious? You don't want to hang out with me upstate? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, not at all, mom. So I don't get to go upstate nearly as often as I'd like. Wow. And you've been raising kids and you've raised your kids in Brooklyn. Yes, which um, I had very mixed feelings about. In fact, when we looked at kindergarten for my now 16-year-old, I made my husband spend a week in Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. I mean, I'm, I was born in Wisconsin, raised in Indiana. Wait, and a, minute, wait, a, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to cut you off. I was born in Wisconsin and raised in Indiana, too, so that's a weird synchronicity. Are you serious? Oh, my goodness. That is, you know, I think I knew that from reading just, you know, because I read your essays and stuff on um, the, uh, the Nervous Breakdown. That is so funny. Where in, well, where in uh, Wisconsin? Tell me where in Wisconsin and where in Indiana, just so I, you can... Yeah, no, I was born in Madison and raised in South Bend, which is where Notre Dame is. Oh, okay. So were your pa- people who don't know. like academic parents then? Uh, my mom was a high school teacher and my father was, uh, yeah, a professor. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and what was, oh, but he, my husband is from New York. And at this po- at that point in his life, when I took him to Wisconsin, he literally made fake shooting up you know, like I'm pretending to shoot up. He's like, this is what I'll do if you make me move here. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, this that's not going to work. He did not, he's not digging the quiet Midwest. So, and so raising kids here has been, I, I'm not my favorite thing, but they, you know, now as teenagers, they love it. And I kind of understand that because I was very, uh, I turned 12, 13, and I was ready to leave home. Uh, so, and I did, I went to boarding school. Um, so New York's good for your teenagers, little kids, kind of hard, unless maybe you're insanely rich and you have a nanny in private school and, you know, it just, it was hard for a while, but they're all right. I think. Well, see, but, you know, I've always, <laughs> I've, I've always noticed, I mean, not that I know a ton of kids that are from New York, but I mean, the people that I've known who were raised in New York, uh, or raised in any big city, there tends to be sort of a. I think there's a good thing about it. They always seem sharp, you know, and like, and, and what's also counterintuitive about it is that one of the most, like gentlest and uh, most even tempered, uh, you know, people that I know in my life was raised in Manhattan, you know, and you always think it's yeah. going to, you're going to have some sort of sharp edge or something. And it's just, you know, that's sort of bullshit. Well, when it comes to 7 million people or whatever it is, um, yeah, no, I have dear friends. Well, my husband, for instance, you know, he was raised here and even though he didn't want to move to Wisconsin and was funny about it. Um, but now I have a friend I'm going to see in Chicago, I'm doing a reading in Chicago and she was raised on the Upper East Side, you know, went to the poshest schools and she's just a big sweetie, like a big loving sweetie. So whether people are nice or even keeled and all that, like, hey, that's just a kind of a crapshoot. I think no matter where you are, um, and I feel like even though I've been in Brooklyn for a very long time, you know, being raised in Indiana, going to college in Boston, spending some time in Europe, um, you know, you can't say like, oh, all New Yorkers are really neurotic, you know, it just doesn't really right. work that way. Right, right. I mean, and like, so the question becomes like, how does it happen? Like if somebody is from the Upper East Side and had this sort of like really privileged existence and then turns out to be like sweeter than a Midwestern mom <laughs> from Indiana. Exactly. You know <laughs> Exactly. No, no. How does that happen? Like, is that a, is that a situation where uh, it's genetic, or is it because her parents raised her right, or is it because you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the what's the cause? Yeah, I think there's some mystery involved. Um, 
but this just brings to mind my my closest friend who like if if I and my, my husband and I die, she gets my children. I have two sisters, but she's on my will. Like I love this woman more than anything. And um, she was raised kind of in a posh environment in Long Island, you know, in private schools and boarding school like me. Um, and the the most amazing thing is that her mother is completely insane and ter- like a terrible mother, <laughs> like you know, like beat them and stuff, right? But she's just great, and so in that way, I think it's kind of a reaction. But there's also some genetic thing where she just maybe got some of her dad's sweetness, um, you know, and didn't want to become her mother, so she became like the nicest person on the planet Earth. Uh, so that's one, you know, that it's all in their details, I think, in every, all of our lives, all the little details matter to form us. Yeah. Um, no, okay. So this is like, this is bringing me into like my own headspace a little bit, but I'd be like this just today. I was thinking to myself, uh, about uh, along these same lines about people and their personalities, about myself, about my personality and whether or not people can change, like whether or not somebody can fundamentally alter like I know people like somebody who is like an alcoholic can stop drinking or somebody who's a heroin addict can stop shooting up. I know that those profound behavioral changes can happen, but like, mm-hmm. is, it, is it possible for somebody to make like a real radical personality shift? Because the, the like, here's here's like the train of thought that I was on earlier personally. Like I was sitting there going, you know, I, I have sort of a shitty attitude, like not all the time, but I'm just sort of, you know, I have this dark sense of humor and I, I tend to see things sort of darkly. And I'm like, what's up mm-hmm. with that? Like, why can't I just be one of those sunny people who like just always like sees things brightly somehow or like, you know, glasses half full. And I have, right. I have been, I think, having some f- variation of that conversation with myself for most of my adult life. And I've never changed. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it's like, it's like great, you know, ingrained. And I'm wondering if that's just because I lack the proper will or if it's because people just are who they are. Well, why do you want to be sunny? Like, what? Because they, do you think they're happier? No, I mean, I think maybe, maybe you just need a good cocktail of Prozac and Depakote <laughs> and, and Klonopin. Seriously, a lot of people are on drugs. I mean, you know, not the not not the illegal kind, even though those do. I don't know. I actually, I will, um, I will say, I, I've been married for seventeen years, and I've watched my husband change tremendously. Uh, because he had to, otherwise I would have divorced him. Um, and he, you know, I mean, he always had like that good guy in him, but he had to really let go of a bunch of stuff. Uh, and he also had to just, learn, he kind of was raised to think that generosity is a weakness. Um, and in my story collection, there's a lot of talk about this kind of thing. And, and you, that's not a good way to be in a marriage all right, if I do as little as possible, you know, like I win because <laughs> yeah. I made you do more. <laughs> like, you know what? That's a really shitty way to be in a marriage and you can't be that way. So get it together. And um, he's really a totally different person now. He comes home. He's helpful. Like we're, we're in a completely different place than, you know, than we were, say, 12 years ago. Uh, and it feels great. Um I don't know if everybody can change, and that is that's a change for the better. The one I just mentioned about my husband, which yeah. is uh, hopefully no, he doesn't care. He knows that I, I <laughs> he knows how I feel about all that. Um, but I actually in one in a story, I think it's a story of galloping infection. Um, I wrote to have a sentence. Uh, it's not true that people can't change; it's that they always change for the worse. 
Um, so in that way, I kind of share your pessimism. <laughs> and, and, and no, seriously, getting older, it's not all of a sudden like, wow, I'm, I'm 75 and, you know, I feel great. It's like, no, I'm 75. I'm on high blood pressure medicine. Like my hips gave out on me. My wife is dying of cancer. You know, my kids suck. They're, you know, getting divorced. Um, so I'm kind of with you on <laughs> that kind of thing, like things, you know, I don't know, maybe, well, I mean, you know, that's yeah. kind of negative to me. Well, I mean, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, there's just like certain base elements of a person's personality that I think are, um, immovable or something, you know, like it's, I don't know, but I mean, at the same time, people can change their behavior. You know, I just think that like, maybe it's really, either it's really hard or there are just parts of myself that, um, you know, uh, fall under that Im immovable category that I just have to learn to accept better, you know? Well, yeah, and I don't really, I don't necessarily, you know, I don't think that people who appear sunny all the time uh, are necessarily happier. Um, you know, I guess if you really know the person deeply and know that they have this kind of inner peace or something, that always, freak, you know, that freaks me out a little bit, the whole inner inner peace thing. Um, I think it's something that we... <laughs> Well, that's why religions exist, because we're all searching for it. And if you're searching for it, it's because you really don't have it. Um, well, but the thing, and, too, uh, the thing, too, is that, like, I mean, uh, there are those people who just have, like, a good nature, you know, like those sweetie people, yeah. you know, and they just, like, it just, yeah. it's their natural. Well, I'm drawn to them. I'm yeah. drawn to nice people. I don't like bitches. I don't do the whole bitch culture, which, you know, my novel is very much about uh, being, like, someone on the... Amazon was saying this is a mean book, you know, and, and mocking and stuff. And there is a lot of this whole bitch culture, uh, you know, Mean Girls was a movie, you know, all Desperate Housewives, all of that. You know, I just don't do that. I can't. It, it's just life is too short. So I do surround myself. And I think of myself, you know, I just was making all these pessimistic things about life and getting old, basically. But uh, I, I believe very much in kindness and uh and actually, when I, I did an interview with Ed Champion, and I said and we were we were in a similar digression, <laughs> and uh, I said I I want to hold on to the right, be disappointed in people. I never want to be like, oh yeah, that's just how people are. Like if someone someone did something really nasty to me recently, and I let myself be very disappointed. Whereas some you know someone more cynical would be like, oh that's just you know, but that's how people are. Right. Uh, a friend who I've helped out um, in various ways. You know, I wrote about her when I was at HTML Giant. She's a great writer. I still believe she's a great writer. Um, I got her, her, you know, tried to book this reading at KGB, which I did book, but then she didn't come. But anyway, and then I see she wrote me a, a two-star review on Amazon and just like this nasty sentence. No way. <laughs> no, and then get this. And I also, she'd been in Brooklyn, I took her out for dinner, you know, like, had her at my house, like, I thought we were friends, and then she took it down, <laughs> which I was just like, okay, so, you know, she feels bad, but, you know, that kind of thing, like, and then uh, she found out I saw it, um, she wrote me a big apology letter, I'm never going to talk to her again, you know, I it was like, I don't, I can't, I, I that's enough. Like, you know, so I have a small circle of people. Um, and it's not that I, I love meeting new people, but if they're going to be like that, just, you know, no. Well, like, you know, that's like a, that is honestly like within this like narrow channel of literary fiction writers in America, that is an, I know, right? That is, a, that is an operatic experience. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I mean, I was laughing. I was like, are you serious? 
you know, and I also let myself be hurt and disappointed. And then, of course, it moved. for me, then I just moved to laughter. Like, okay, that's just, you know, I'm glad I'm not you. Like, I'm glad I'm not the person who's, like, writing nasty reviews to, about people who were good to me. <laughs> like, you know, and, uh, and there's, you know, in the motherhood culture, it's so intense. Um, and that was something that, you know, uh, yeah, you have to find your few allies and then kind of tune out the rest. I can't do uh, it. We, we have a two-year-old, and we just and she's just oh, starting, okay. She's just starting preschool, and I like physiologically get <laughs> like so tense, like just thinking about all the the school and the this and the, the parents thing, and we got to all do the potluck, and it's like, oh my god, oh yeah, it's hard. I never, I never. <laughs> Well, and um, and the thing, uh, my experience was that all those people who like organize the potluck, like, why can't we just go home and be with our family? Do I really need to go to this pot? Like, I don't want to be around two people. <laughs> like, anyway, I was that. Maybe that sounds very cynical because I had my friend, but the real organizers, like the PTA presidents, both times I had to take my sons out of school. Both times, the PTA presidents, they're two separate ones. Their sons were like violent, abusive kids who like didn't have a parent because she was so busy constantly organizing stuff and dumping her kids off with other people. And uh, anyway, like, you know, they're like, I'm best mom because I'm the president of the PTA and everybody needs to pitch in. And actually, they were the worst moms and I had to take my kids out of that school. <laughs> and now they're, and then we can finally afford private school where there the pressure is far less to be involved. There's like a parents association, but it's not the same thing. Public schools in Brooklyn, it's like, we got to help out the schools by being parental involvement. And actually, no, the schools just need to be good and the parents need to be parents. And me hanging out there, you know, hang, you know, passing out brownies is, just doesn't actually help anybody. Yeah. Well, and it's just, <laughs> it, seems like, it seems like there's so much of it too. It's like, it's like, it would be one thing if it was like a couple times a semester or something, but like, it just feels like yeah. there's a never ending cycle of stuff already. My daughter's two, yeah. you know, and it's like, I know. I, yeah. No, I feel for you. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm almost done. You're just starting. <laughs> um, but I, my, I have just a little bit of advice. Just you know, screw them. I be, I be, I was like the not popular person because I was the person who learned to say no, just no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not. You know, not at first. It took me a while, but when I did learn how to say no, not only was it freeing, but I also it's like cutting out a lot of negativity. There's a bunch of negativity, you know, because it is just like that. Like I said, the bitch culture, the mean girls, but they're moms instead. I never saw the movie Mean Girls. I was like, you know, I don't need to see that. I've been living that my whole life. I don't need to, I don't need to watch that movie. And it doesn't stop with girls. You know, it's unfortunately uh, a long-lasting culture. And I'm sure, and, and, you know, the men thing, too, they have their, you know, it's a whole other issue, uh, but similar problems, you know, societal problems of just, you know, we're not a bunch of, like, it's not a loving atmosphere out there, you know, at all times. You've got to find your, for me, it's really about my handful of friends. And, uh, yeah. Well, I, mean, but I mean, how can you, I mean, I know that there are some people who are like magical with people and can like befriend anybody and, you know, but the truth is that mm -hmm. when you get into adult life, if you're busy raising a family or working or both, right? like how can you possibly manage to keep, uh, keep up with like, you know, 80 different people. You know what I'm saying? You have to sort of exactly. like pare, it, pare it down to the people in your life that are there and are, you know, most yeah. important. I mean, that's the only way it can work. 
Right. And that's the whole like growing up for me, growing up and, and being, you know, I'm not in college anymore. And even in college, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a loner personality kind of, or one person in high school, I thought, you know, uh, it was very awkward being from Indiana and then going to boarding school, you know. Um, where, did, where did you go to boarding but, school? I went to Taft, and it was all like Park Avenue, Greenwich, Connecticut, and I was there with like feathered hair and like ACDC albums, and it just really took a while See, to adjust. I, no, but I understand, because you're from Indiana, and like, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was all good in the long run, uh, but wait, where was I Where was I going with this? Um, well, so I, I, I wasn't, you know, high school is an awkward time. Sometimes high school, it's like the best years of my life, and people, you know, in their 50s just wish they were their quarterback still in high school. Like, that was just not my experience at all. Um, so that started the kind of lonely thing. And then, you know, I'm not unfriendly. I just uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, not being social if I can. Uh, and right now, promoting this book, you know, I gotta get, I gotta, you gotta show your face. Unless you're Ann Tyler, I wish I could be Ann Tyler. She just says, "I'm agoraphobic. I can't, you know, leave my house." <laughs> and uh, I'm really jealous of her. Uh, but um, well, she's a huge best-selling author, and I'm not. Well, it's <laughs> so, okay. So and, I've had this thought myself, and like, this is the thing about it, especially, and this is especially what comes to mind for me whenever I hear uh, a big-time author. Um, you know, d like talking down about the the internet or whatever it would be. Right. You know, like it is a great privilege to not have to do any of this shit. You know. Of course. <laughs> you know, like I know, no, it'd be great. No, but I'm in a position. Yeah, I would love that, but I'm not in that position. I don't, you know, and I um, if I were in that position, believe me, I'd take advantage of it. But uh, <laughs> you're like, I, you think uh, I've been writing. Do you think I would yeah. talk, you'd be like you're like? Do you think I would be talking to you on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible, but there's some truth to it. Right. No, seriously. Um, but my career is that I've been writing for over for 22 years or even longer. I mean, I was writing in high school, but, you know, I went to graduate school at 23 uh, or something like that for my master's in creative writing. And I really was dedicated, but I didn't publish a book until I was 42. <laughs> So now that that happened, and now I have my second book out, and I have a third book coming out, I, I care. I worked. I've worked so hard, and it took so long. Of course, I'm going to try uh, to use social media as much as I can, or do the interviews, or and then actually go to the parties and like meet people and shake it. You know, people like to see a face. Um, and I'm doing an extensive reading. I'm reading in Chicago and Portland, and in outside of LA, in the suburb of LA. And then I'm going to go to Minneapolis later, um, and. Ideally, I wouldn't do that because I hate flying, <laughs> and I actually hate reading. Um, but I have a now routine where I like, you know, I manage it. Um, like, like, but what, I care what, with like Xanax and stuff. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Basically, <laughs> it's not like a heavy abusive thing because otherwise you wouldn't be able to read. Uh, but um, yeah, I used to like shake really badly because I'm, I'm not a good public speaker. I, I, I probably would have failed public speaking had I took it. Uh, okay, you want some uh, advice? You want some advice? Because I, 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 yeah. I thought you were talking about flying, that you were a nervous flyer, so you had a routine to get through that. That too. Okay. Oh well, yeah, that too. <laughs> so, so Xanax for flying, but like for the shaky hands thing. Um, yeah. Get yourself like a Kindle and read off of a Kindle because it's heavier. Well, I guess, you know, it's heavier than a paperback. Like the heavier the object that you're reading from, if you're holding it, 
the more it will, oh. it will weight your hands down and they won't shake as much. If you're and more, you don't have to turn pages, which is really like the self-conscious, like I'm turning the page, right. can they see I'm shaking? Right. You can, just slide, <laughs> you can just slide your finger across. It's a good thing. I've done it before. And it's actually, it actually works well for a reading precisely because of that. You don't have to like deal with the pages and you can just slide it and read and, you know. I love that advice, Brad. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm glad I did this podcast. I learned something. <laughs> Just trying to make it. I learned a, trying to make it a beneficial experience. <laughs> but, but but the point is, um, you know, there's this whoring yourself out idea, which is kind of sad to, to look at it that way. But if you work really hard, you want people like I don't want to have only five people read my book. Like it would be great if a lot of people read my book. That's why I wrote it. You know, I didn't write it for five people. I wrote it for hopefully to get an audience. Um, and I think that's why a lot of writers are kind of weird and reclusive. This is their way of connecting in the world is through their books. And that's what you want. You know, you want a readership. Anybody who uh, that's one problem a little I have with the small press world, even though the small press world has been so great to me. So mostly I just love it. I run a small press myself. Um, but when they can get snobby about it, like, you know, oh, you know, it's bad to sell out or whatever. And I, uh, I'm like, when I left Word Riot for Soho, my publisher was just like, yes, good for you. And because she wants the same thing for herself or for anybody else she cares about, you know, she wants people to be successful. Well, yeah, um, and yeah. I don't, yeah, I think that's, you know, so it's, uh, there can be some real curmudgeon I actually just saw some earlier, like, I hate it, you know, when small press authors go to, uh, the big presses and something or other. And I'm like, Oh, just, you know, really don't we all want a readership? Right. <laughs> I want foreign rights sales. Like I want, you know, I'd love it all. Like I'd like someone in Germany to be reading my book. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think that makes, makes me, um, a, a sellout or anything. Uh, it just makes, I think it's why else would you write a book and have it published if you don't want people to read it? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're trying to make a living and it's like, what are you going to do? Like, like anybody, yeah. like, if the tables well, were turned and it was the, the person who's complaining, I bet you they would do the same thing. You know, I would be, you know, exactly right. They're, they're liars. Yes. Is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm not making a living, uh, not, but I would love to, that would be great. Um, but I have like a, you know, I'm, 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 very happy how the past few years have gone, um, and I'm super excited to be working with Mark Doten. I have an amazing editor, uh, and uh, we're going to do another book next year, and I feel so fortunate, you know? Like, it, it took a really long time of... A lot of people, were like, one agent said, this book is incredibly offensive. I cried. <laughs> and then other people just saying, you know, your character is not sympathetic. And then I get to talk to this guy at the Atlantic, and he's like, I love her. And I'm like, you love my character? Really? Because a lot of people hated her forever. <laughs> so, But I think there's a climate now. Like, 10 years ago, there really wasn't uh, room for the dissent that there is now. That parenting culture has become... And I think the internet probably has something to do with it, mommy blogs and babble.com. And and now people are talking uh, kind of more honestly and maybe just more, like, you know, worldwide communication so that there's now a place for a character who's not wholly sympathetic. You know, you don't have to only have sympathetic mothers. Uh, and I'm grateful that the world has changed. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that... Uh... You know, there's so much out there in terms of advice and how you're supposed to be. And again, like I'm new to this and I have a hard time even like uh, 
confronting any of it. I didn't read hardly anything. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I haven't cracked a book about parenting. I can't do it. It's, That's okay. Yeah, Don't do it. <laughs> I feel like I have instincts. I'm a human being. We're animals. I can figure this out. And like maybe that's like arrogance, but it's like I just – I can't. Well, your two-year-old's not rolling around in its own shit. Like you're doing great, yes, right? Exactly. And get food in its mouth, and like you know, get you know, get some fresh air once in a while. Like it's really that's about it. For, well, you know. and you know the thing about parenthood too is that like you can over. I think it's easy to overthink it. Like I mean, clearly it's oh, easy to overthink huge. it. Huge. And so it's yeah. like. You know, like, what What am I, like, it's like, what do I need to tell her? Well, I don't think what I tell her really matters. I think how I am matters a heck of a lot more. And so, like, just lead by example. And if the kid grows up and has manners, like, that's about as good as you can do. You know? mm-hmm. No, um, but, you know, there is actually some cliche, but a good one. Some cliches are good. You know, the children do uh, not, they don't do what you say, they do what you do. So, and I was very much uh, in that, you know, believe, I believe that as well. And it, it turned out, like... I'd sit around reading, and then my kids turned into great readers. They're like, oh, that's what you do. You sit around reading, you know. Um, and manners, too. Yeah, you do, that, you know, you, they, they learned my example. There is this whole thing where you do, I feel like you should discipline them. Like, don't let them do horrible things. <laughs> you know, like, they're not allowed to go up to hit somebody with a stick over the head repeatedly. Right. Whereas, like, some Brooklyn some Brooklyn mom would be like, oh, no, you really shouldn't do that. Like, I would grab the stick and be like, missing you. Right. Don't you ever do that, you know. <laughs> and then, so that would maybe kind of unpopular. Um because uh, uh, disciplining, you know, I didn't like beat them or anything, but I definitely, you know, I laid down the law. And uh, later on, the, the the good thing was that later on, like when I go to restaurants and stuff, um, people constantly waiters and waitresses, I guess you can't say waitress anymore, waiters would say, you have the most well-behaved children. And I would be like, thank you. And then even later, my children thanked me. Because they'd have like some goofball in the classroom who's constantly disruptive and rude, um, and they're like, "Thank you for making me not be that person. This is not a good way to be in the world." Right. And um, so there's that. I mean, that's but that's different than like being neurotic, like B.B. Einstein, and like you know, oh God, I just read the most. I actually read a, a book that um, I'm trying to interview. Uh, her name is Jessica Valenti, and she wrote a book called. The title is very silly. Um, I think, but you know, it's catchy. It's why have kids. Um, but it's actually the sanest parenting book. And I read it, uh, on assignment cause I don't really read parenting books anymore, but it's the sanest parenting book. And it, um, I learned all sorts of things like that. Things have even gotten crazier in a way. Uh, I think better in a way open to, you know, m- novels like mine being published, but then there's this thing called the diaper free movement. Do you know about this? Oh God, no, I'm probably not doing it though. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like in Africa, you know, babies don't like in primitive culture and all that primitive culture stuff just makes me like smoke blow out of my ears. But, you know, there's all these internet, there's all these blogs that like you're supposed to be so in touch with your kid that what you can tell when it needs to pee or poo and then you would like hold it over a toilet. And I was just laughing so hard and talking to one of my sons. And he's like, what's like natural about holding your kid over a toilet. <laughs> it's not natural either. Like, you know, like whatever. Um, but you know, there's all sorts of, you know, there's a bunch of crazy people out there with some very silly ideas about what it means to be a good parent. And I think that I, you know, what it means to be a good parent is kind of, there's a large, there's a large area, uh, 
And then the really bad parents or, or really, really good, if that even exists, I don't really think it does. But the really bad parents are, you know, that's a whole different world. But most of us are, we do okay, you know? Yeah. I think. And that's enough. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, here's it's a, not here, about... Here's a debate. Yeah, go. Okay, I want to yeah. get... Because I feel like you'd probably be good... Uh, good person, uh, you know, to, to pick your brain about this. But, uh, just the other day, my daughter said, damn it for the first time. Um, she, okay, she yeah. cl- clearly got it from me. Uh, and she's just like <laughs> laughing. She doesn't know what it means. Obviously she's two, but she's like laughing and going, damn it, damn it, damn it. Like in her, <laughs> yeah. in her nursery. And my, my wife is like, see, it's you. And I'm like, at first I was like, I was a little sheepish and I was like, oh, damn it. Like she, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, oh God, I feel terrible about this. But then I started thinking about it and I'm like, this has always bothered me. Like I'm totally of the George Carlin school when it comes to swearing. Like if she was calling, if she's calling somebody a fucker or she's using hate speech, that is not, right. that is not okay. But I don't, they're just words. I don't care if she says, damn it. I really don't. Right. Well, what this is the thing is I remember when Jack was two years old and we were at Thanksgiving at my in-laws and he starts running around the table going, fuck, 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 which he totally got from me like earlier that day. You know, I was like, cursing to the and, uh, you know, everyone was kind of stunned and it was sort of, it was, it was embarrassing. So what my thing with cursing is now we just, we joyfully curse around the house because I have teenagers. Um, uh, we, we try to one up each other on our curses, <laughs> but when they're little, what the main thing is don't curse in public, uh, you know, you can't, like, these words you could, you know, they're not for school, um, stuff like that. Because I didn't want them to get in trouble. You know, so there's that. But no, I just, uh, I remember one time, and the thing is, it makes, cursing is funny. Um, and, and when I curse out my own children, they just laugh. Like, they're not like, oh my God, mom called me a fucktard. And I did. Like, one time we were, like, I thought they were supposed to get something, and then we get in the car, and some of those were rushing to tennis camp, and I'm supposed to drive them. And I thought they forgot something, which they didn't forget. But I'm driving and I'm like, you fucking fucktard. And they just immediately burst into laughter. Even though I was angry because I thought they'd forgotten like their tennis rackets or something. But they didn't. And then I was like, oh, sorry. You know? <laughs> and then sorry is a really good word, too. Like, sorry is really good. We all know how to apologize to each other. Um, anyway, it's, been, it's, a, it's a wild ride. Now, like, I'm... Uh, someone wanted a sequel to nine months and I'm kind of thinking, you know, after I do the story collection, that that might be something to do because I'm at a, such a different place. You know, I wrote this book, most of it 10 years ago and then revised it. But now I want to write about having teenagers, which is completely awful. <laughs> you know, Nora Ephron said, if you have teenagers, make sure you have dogs. So someone is happy to see you. <laughs> and, um, I didn't. I didn't hear about that until after I bought the dogs, and now I'm like, oh wow! I think it was just instinct, like instinct. You know, I mean, they just uh, they want nothing to do with you. You know, I mean, not nothing, but it's a, it's a different phase and one that um I'd like to explore in in my fiction. Well, no, I've, I just, I've I, done. I was joking. With okay. a, I was joking with a friend earlier, to, just today, this morning, and I was emailing back and forth with him and. Um, like my daughter just the other day for the first time told me to go away and I was like, okay, so now it begins like just slowly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Go away. No, I remember one time like snuggling how he was like four and I was just having this moment like four year old little boy. He's so cute. I just, I loved my boys. Um, and he's like, mom, you're mushing me. Go away. You know, <laughs> I was like I'm mushing you, uh, you know, uh, 
Yeah, and then then they're 16 and throwing parties at your house and lying to you um, while you're out of town. That's what I'm going through right now. Well, and it's like really bad. Oh yeah, I mean kids are crazy because like I get all, like it exposes you, you know, at any age I'm sure. But like I find myself just like staring at my daughter who's two, and I'm just like, do you love me? Like, do you know yeah, I know. Right? Oh no, no, no. I have the same. Like you want their approval, yes. but that's natural. Yeah. I mean, you want them to love you, and even I... though they say it, like, do you believe it? Like, do they really? Yeah. Are they like you know? Are they... and I was a disciplinarian in the household, like I was mentioning earlier, and so there was this thing where like sometimes they were like kind of scared of me, and that made me feel terrible because mostly we had just a loving, great thing that like you know you can't take a Lego and throw it at your brother like that's just not okay, and I, I wouldn't be like you know I was like I would never be like let's talk about this. You know, like it's just absolutely not, you know, right. you can't do this. There was never like, let's discuss your feelings about throwing like a... <laughs> How would you feel if someone, you know... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was just like, you can't do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, so, but, so possible sequel. We'll, we'll put that on the record. I'm thinking um, on uh, the guy, Paul Griffin, uh, or Griffith, I'm forgetting right now, sorry. Um He's great, and he's reviewed uh, he reviewed Cul-de-sac, one of the things I published, this great book I published. Um, but then he reviewed Nine Months, and the last bit was like, I want a sequel. Um, and, you know, I posted about it on my blog that no one reads because it's kind of a crappy blog. But anyway, I have one. Um, I've read it. And I said, I, oh, that's nice. I'm the one. Um, you're the one. You're the one. You're that one page view yesterday that I got. <laughs> no, I'm... Uh, and I said, I love the idea for a sequel. Um, and I never even thought about it. And then I get this really good reader. Uh, it's so satisfying when someone gets your book and, and you know, it, good reviews, like, okay, that's great for sales. But also it's for me, it's a personal connection of someone understanding what I was trying to do for, you know, with the, something I worked very hard to try to do and it actually came across. <laughs> you know, it's so very satisfying. And I never thought of a sequel until I read you know, his review. And now I'm like, you know, that, uh, definitely a lot more material. You know, I don't have little kids anymore, so I'm in a whole different phase. Uh, and I like the character. She's actually, Sonia is going to be in a story collection in her 20s, a couple of, one or two stories, um, which um, my editor thinks is really funny. <laughs> he was like, you, have you, you know, I was like, yeah, that's right. I wrote about her when she was, you know, and then someone said, you have this other character, Madeline, who comes up a lot. Um, and are they the same person? And they're absolutely not. I and mean, it's so fun to have these people in my head. Like, Madeline isn't funny at all. Sonia's kind of a riot. Uh, Sonia says exactly what's on her mind. Madeline has all sorts of problems communicating for the most part, you know. Uh, right. Anyway, it's just, uh, uh, the great thing about like doing readings and talking to people is, you know, I get to think about it, my book in ways that you don't really think about when you're writing. When you're writing, you're just kind of like, okay, I'm trying to get this done here. I'm like trying to get to the next, like, you know, uh, I, I don't, well, I don't personally do a lot of thinking about like, what is it exactly this character is about and how is it different from other characters or, you know, that's not where my mindset is like, okay, I'm going to try to get, you know, <laughs> you know, squeeze out a couple of pages this morning um, that's my process is, I guess, a little uh, unconscious, and then later I get to think about it, which is much more fun. <laughs> right, right. And then what about like when you talk about your characters and you talk about, um, 
uh, how you know them. Like w- with regard to the visual aspects of it, I'm curious to know, like how, with how much specificity can you see them in their physicality? Yeah. Like, no, can, I am. Um... Can you see, can you know what they look like? Do you know their faces? Or, uh-huh. Like you do. Yeah, I do. Um, and you know, Sonia, I mean, you can see her all through her pregnancy. So that's very visual for me, you know, starting out pregnant and getting more pregnant. Um, and then Madeline, she's much younger. Her stories tend, are from like ages like 12 to, to 18. And, uh, her whole thing is she's really overweight and she's a really big lady. She's like big, you know, big girl. She's 12 and she's five foot 10 and weighs like 250 pounds. So yes, yeah, so that's a very visual, uh, thing in my mind. And I see the clothes they wear. Do you ever do you ever, like the, do, you ever, do you ever see your characters as like like famous actors playing your characters in a movie, or am I the only one? No, yeah, I do. I no, do I think that's a great idea. Well, actually, I do. Would love to see. I think nine months because um, it's kind of like a it's it has a manic satire. Satire, I think, translates well into the movies. Uh, I just does like hardcore drama, but I'm such I'm, now that I'm old and and life is so tragic already. Like I don't I like to watch the dark drama. I, I recently watched Requiem for a Dream, and <laughs> I, it was the biggest mistake. I mean, I'm still months later. I'm like, oh, it's haunting me. You know, yeah, yeah, no, what a mistake. A, you know, but when you're 22 and nothing as bad has happened to you when you're 22, for the most part. I mean, some 22 year olds, you know, like in Sudan or even like in America, like God, you know, your parents die in a car crash or whatever. Right. But most 22-year-olds, nothing bad. So I sit around and be like, yeah, I'm going to watch, you know, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And now I've, I've so many horrible things happen by your mid-40s that you just like, I, I don't want to go there. <laughs> so, I mean, I will in my writing, like writing stuff, but visually, like movies, I don't watch a lot of dark movies anymore, which is kind of sad, maybe. But um, this, I think Nine Months would make a great movie, but I can't visualize what actors... Uh, but you know, you live in LA, so that's probably kind of like soaks into your brain even more. And that's not a bad thing. Movies are great. And if a book, if your book or my book, it's made in a movie. I would just be happy for someone, yeah. you know, that'd be a great thing. But maybe it's just maybe, so, but maybe it's like, you know, a sign of like a lazy imagination on my part. Like I'm can't even like, <laughs> my mind, I can't even get my mind to create like an original character. It's like, Oh, I guess that's just Paul Giamatti, you know, like that's <laughs> That's awesome, though. I love that. Well, you know, most of the, my characters are variations of people I know. Like, there's a sister character in Nine Months, and it's not exactly my sister in my imagination. But anyway, you know, it's just, uh, you know, and then the, the characters, my main protagonist, Sonia, and then the other one, Madeline, who, you know, I have more than these two, by the way, because I write mostly short fiction, Uh but they're kind of variations of me. <laughs> I mean, I was never overweight, but I am tall, um, and I've definitely been pregnant. And you know, so there, it, it's that's maybe even more narcissistic than the. Uh, well, you know, it's, I write semi-autobiographical fiction, uh, so I guess that kind of makes sense. And you know, uh, I'd like to hear people admit that you know, because like sometimes people are cagey about it, or sometimes people deny it, and like. Right. I think all books are autobiographical, all arts. You know, that's. I think that line is true. But um, I, t- I find myself. Yeah. I find myself drawn to fiction, and I, th- I assume that probably you do too, because if you kind of write what you're drawn to, or I think you do. But like, I like yeah, I like I'm not very read. good at the I like nonfiction reading. stuff. Well, I like reading fiction where I feel like the person has very. There's very little 
separation or like, I don't know, it feels close to their own experience in a way that, um, intimate, like that you feel like the author and the character, the, the, like you're actually kind of getting to know the author maybe a little bit. And I never abandoned my kids. Like Mike Sonia goes on this wild road trip, like that never happened. So that's me imagining it. But a lot of her feelings and sentiments, uh, a lot of her experience, um, about, you know, as a human being are, yeah, that's, they're from me. They're, you know, I, I had a tough time being pregnant. I wasn't like, this is great. And other people, re- I had friends who were like, I love being pregnant. I hated being pregnant. <laughs> uh, I just really, and I, I, I love my children and I wanted them. And I always thought being from Indiana, I thought I'd have like five kids. But then when you're raising your kids in Brooklyn, you know, that's just, it wasn't going to happen. Um, but uh, the actual physical aspect of being pregnant and her whole ambivalence towards it, uh, that's yeah, that's me. Michael Kimball just came out with a book called Big Ray. I just talked and, to him. I just talked to him. Oh, okay. And I just he's doing this. He's like, I made it a novel so that I can structure it differently. And this is even more intensely autobiographical than, than what I'm talking about. My my um, you know, the stuff that I'm writing, uh, or at least definitely nine months. But he's just, you know, he's like, yeah, my dad was like this guy, and, you know, and now I, I wanted to write a book, and now I feel more free for my dad. I just all the interviews about it just uh, are really heartening, you know. Yes, we can talk honestly. We're writing about ourselves, you know, even if it's not factual, because I do like fiction. Uh, but, you know, my heart and soul are in everything. So, And then some of my short stories from the book Baby are pretty much just autobiographical, but, uh, uh, and, and the other ones are not at all, especially, you know, cause like three of them are from the male point of view <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of them, like the, the mother character is dead. I'm not dead. So, uh, but then there's a few others. The second son is really, there's just not a lot of fiction in that one. Um, I was really remembering the time when my second son was born and how I had a really hard time. That's one of my not funny stories. I have some not funny stories. In fact, the next book, I'm a little concerned because this nine months is, is a satire, um, darkly funny, and, and Baby was considered darkly funny because there is a mixture of funny stories, you know, sat- satirical stories. But the next book that's coming out is mostly not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, it's called Not Funny. That's just... It's annoying. And I'm a little like, oh, are people going, you know, well, anyway, but I'm, I'm excited to get it out there. I'm working on it uh, right now. Um, but, and it's not, because there's a few funny stories. So it's a bunch of stories in a novella. And the novella is decidedly unfunny. Um, it's just like, uh, oh, my, what, what was I thinking when I wrote that? Like, <laughs> not using my sense of humor when I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it uh, happens to me, too, because I, I tend toward the darkly funny in my own work I dark funny yeah, yeah that's right it's kind of my sensibility no- but, but sometimes like when it's not funny at all um mm-hmm. you know that's there's obviously a place for that in the world and, and, yeah. and in the world of art but sometimes when that kind of stuff comes out of you do you ever say to yourself like damn like, what's wrong with me yeah that's just dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i totally yeah you know uh but there's a lot of darkness in in life and lots of tragedy and lots of suffering and are and that's just you know like Sometimes you can laugh it off or, uh, or or bring humor just to to illuminate it, um, you know, illuminate the troubles 
uh, that people have, or you know, larger issues, society. You know, there's a bunch of. I was reading about uh, two books that were nominated for the National Book Award. Both are about the Iraq War, and one is like it's a funny book, but the subject matter is not actually really funny. There's nothing funny about war. Which one, um, Billy Lynn, or I forget Billy Lynn, or and then there's another one, but maybe that was the one. I do, you know, I read a lot of like little snippets of. Uh, about other books. Billy Lynn, and there's one other Iraq War, Blue Ribbon, not Blue Ribbon, that's a restaurant. <laughs> Something <laughs> neat. Anyway, um, and then other times it's uh, just to write in a straightforward um, way about pain that people will go through. I'm thinking of Alexander Heman. He wrote an essay in The New Yorker about his nine month old infant dying and like how she got sick and then she died. You know, he was there. Whatever, just awful. Uh, and you know, but he wrote about it, and in sharing that experience, it, it kind of like it made me, um, you know, feel less alone with the tragedies that I've recently. You know, I lost a parent, and my mom is in diapers and senile, and uh, it, it's okay to write about that in a funny way. I'm not. I'm not. Obviously, that's it doesn't take away from the importance. But there's nothing wrong with a straightforward account. Uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, in you know, in, in dealing with darkness. Yeah, uh, and you know, but the thing is, I think about me, uh, and I think maybe uh, sometimes I don't know if you go through this, but I think a lot of people who tend toward this is that like, I guess I feel bad. It's like I should, I have to find the funny in it somehow. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like the, either the game I play or like the way that I feel like the work reaches. Mm. I don't know, or maybe well, it's just ultimately. Well, the, you know what? We are the lucky. Yeah. Well, that. It's a it's a useful tool in life. Our whole family, we're a bunch of like comedians. Like we're calling each other fucktards and stuff. Like we just we <laughs> joke around constantly, um, and it's a useful thing because otherwise, like you just okay, we're just dying. We're getting you know we're getting old and dying. Like that's all there is to it. And then everything else is just uh, actually that's a line in one of my short stories. And I think everything else is just kind of filler. <laughs> and like you know, trying to just to, you know to get your mind off of the fact that and we're going to be dead. Yeah. Um, uh, so humor can be great for that. And then occasionally though, uh, I, I, you know, I go with straight on straightforward, like, okay, well, I want to write, write about this in, in uh, a not funny way. Um, and I appreciate reading stuff like that. Like I said, a movie wise can't really watch the really horrible, dark stuff anymore because the, the, the images from Requiem for a Dream. Like, literally, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be haunted <laughs> by uh, those prostitution he scenes and be like, oh, God, so awful. That's a, t- <laughs> that's, a pr- that's a particularly tough movie. Like, it's a particular... I know. What was I... Someone was like, oh, you should watch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I should never have watched that. <laughs> how, great is like, El- or- how great is Ellen Burstyn in that movie, though? Good God. Oh, my God. I know. I know. But it's just too... You know what? It was too much for me. And then, and then, then again, that's age. 20 years ago, I was like, oh, it's so great. And 20 years ago, I read Last Sex to Brooklyn, you know, uh, now that's probably not a book I'm going to pick up. Um, <laughs> I, but, studied, and that's I studied too, with uh, yes. Hubert Selby in graduate school. He was uh, and he was the gentlest guy ever. <laughs> that's the funniest. He part. was your professor. Yes, <laughs> and he was a sweetheart. He was like a sweetest old man. I mean, I, I know that. I mean, he had an edge for sure, and I know from people who had taken uh, classes with him like years and years ago that he used to be a little bit. 
um, less gentle. You know, he's always a sweetheart, but like, you know, I think like as he got into his elderly years, he got sweet. But when I took classes with mm. him, he was just like, he got every joke. He was sharp as a tack. But, he came to class with an oxygen tank and he was, uh, Oh, but that's a wonderful thing that you were able to study with him. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. Cause he's a great, he's a great writer. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that I just had a point in my life where I, you know, certain amount of like dark stuff, like I just, you know, too much darkness in my life. Can't really, don't want to, you know, watch no, that movie. I'm the same way. Um, yeah, uh, but here's the thing about, it doesn't surprise me what you're saying about Hubert Selby. Just because he writes those kind of books doesn't mean he's that kind of a person. And then I know people, like, I live in Brooklyn, so I know, even though I kind of keep to myself and my best friend works at Merrill Lynch, you know, who I was talking about earlier, you know, I don't really uh, only hang out with writers. And I was a bartender for years and another best, one of my other best friends is a bartender and restaurant owners, but I do know writers. And, um, there's this one writer, his work is so joyous and kind of whimsical and, <laughs> and kind. And he's the biggest fucking asshole on the planet Earth, you know? Well, <laughs> so like, I'm reading the, uh, the biography of Kurt Vonnegut, uh, or was rereading it, and just seeing the way that there's like the discrepancy between my, uh, you know, the image that I sort of held of him in my, in my mind because he's been a hero mm -hmm. of mine since I was a kid versus what mm -hmm. his life was actually like. Like, it can be difficult. And a lot of times I think it's true, like the, the writers who – um, are the sunniest or the writers who seem to have this sort of public image as being, a, you know, I don't know. It's hard to, to kind of find the exact right adjective, but you know what I'm saying. I completely know what you're saying. And um, uh, that's something, especially when I was a young writer, was very difficult. And I went through a point, I, I got to a point where I was like, I'm never reading a biography of a writer again. Because I read Jean Reese's biography, and she's incredibly important to me when I was in my 20s. And I've actually reread her, and she holds up. But then I bought this biography of hers uh, about her, and uh, she was kind of horrible. Like, <laughs> maybe maybe beat one of her husbands, you know, and that was responsible for his early death. And I didn't even finish it. At that point, I was like, I can't finish reading this. I, I can't finish reading this. And then I had a moratorium. I was like, I'm never, you know, doing that. And then I had this moment with Philip Roth, who this my most recent book was very much influenced by my obsession with Philip Roth. There's a character named Philip uh, Philbert Rush in the book, which is my fake relationship with Philip Roth. <laughs> um, but... And then I wrote him a letter at one point. It was in response to an article he wrote in The New Yorker. And I basically was disagreeing with him all these, in all these points. And for some reason, he was just listed. I've written three fan letters. I'm not much of a, I'm a, I'm not a stalker, but every now and then I get really, you know, like writers, other writers are really important to me. Yeah. So I sent him a letter and he wrote me back a quick little note. And in the letter, I was like, I promise I'll never read Claire Bloom's book about you. I don't know why I said that, okay, but I did. <laughs> and then he wrote me this little tiny, like, one, two-sentence note back, but still. So it's like two cents from Phil Broth. I'll take that. Sure. It's in my drawer of special things. And, um, <clears throat> and then for some reason, because of this interaction, I was like, now I really have to read Claire Bloom's book called you know, In a Doll's House, which is all about her marriage to him. <laughs> oh. And then I was like, oh. No, but you know, I can go back to him. His work's that important to me, but you know, not probably not a very good person. 
Like not, he might just be kind of a, like a, not a good person. <laughs> I mean, that's just the um, thing. How, like, have you ever read, I mean, maybe just people are rough in general because it's so easy. I mean, especially when you fall in love with somebody's art, artwork um, right. and then you, you, you just admire them so much for that. And, and you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, it's like I impossible. Think, yeah. And it's like, I want, I'm trying to think exactly. back and, and, and see if there's like any literary biography or biography of any artist that I've ever read where I put the book down and was like, wow, that was a life like well-lived, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or what a great humanitarian. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think artists and humanitarian, <laughs> but um, that's what, another thing, Alice Monroe's, uh, you know, short story form being my favorite thing in the world. And I, I think she's, you know, I'm one of those, she should get the Nobel, even though I'm sure this Chinese uh, author is fantastic. I'm not complaining. Um, but, Sure. One of her daughters wrote a book about her, and it's not supposedly a nice portrait at all. Great. Can't, and, uh, can't wait just, for my daughter to write a book about me. <laughs> I know. No, can you? My sons. Um, actually, I just. I'm like you guys can't be a writer. Don't ever be a writer. Being a writer is, you know, don't that or lawyers. They're not allowed to be lawyers, which everyone thinks is kind of funny. But I don't know any happy lawyers. I'm like, there's, even, there's a lot of things you can do. I said, no, and they're like, and you can't be an architect. It makes you too anal drawing all those little squares. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we just give them, we're giving them all sorts of crap all the time because uh, they're teenagers. But um, so this Alice in the Row book, like, I, I, I don't want to read it. Her work is so um, special to me. Uh, and I just hope I never read her daughter's book. I regret reading A Doll's House, sort of. Although, even though I worship Philip Roth's writing, I didn't idolize him as a human being. Um, but Jean Reese, I was younger, and I was like, oh, and she was in Paris, and she had all these men, and she was kind of glamorous, and she was, you know, drank too much, and blah. And then actually, she was, she was just kind of awful. Like, she's just really kind of a terrible person. Well, you know, <laughs> you, know? you know, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking about Jim Morrison for some reason. And it's uh -huh. like, when you think he was only 27 when he died, so you got to cut him some slack for that. But, uh, right. You know, like, that, 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 like when you watch that, like I remember watching the movie The Doors when I was in college and being like, God, and I still sort of romanticize The Doors and the whole like rock and roll flame out thing. But, you know, the, uh -huh. the truth is that he was just a really bad drunk. You know? <laughs> yeah. And like, drugs too, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. It was just like no fun. No. Yeah, no, and then my, my thing was Bon Scott, you know, uh, freezing to death in his car. And I don't know how he wasn't 27, I don't think, but he was not old, you know, and that's just like a really, like, the Australians, they just, they drink in a way that's different than, even, than most Americans. And it's sad, because, you know, he's dead. That's terrible. Um, but, yeah, being disappointed with our idols. Um, and, and yet, still, I still have them, you know. I And, and, I can, I, and then also, being older now, uh, when I, like I said, when I was in my 20s reading that biography of Jean Reese was a little disastrous. But now with Philip Roth, I'm older. Um, when I read the, the Claire Bloom book, maybe it was, I was in my 30s. And now that I'm in my 40s, most, most of us aren't really flawless. <laughs> yeah. You know, most of us are not, um, I mean, and people are going to disagree, like, but Jimmy Carter, I bought a book by Jimmy Carter, and I just couldn't read it because he made me feel like such a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I never, he was such a good Christian in the way that my father, like, you know, there's a bunch of good Christians who aren't really actually good Christians. They're scary fundamentalists who are full of hate. But then there, there are, I do believe that there are really good Christians, um, and uh, I spend a lot of time in the Dominican Republic. I see, you know, the good 
what would like some Christian uh, organizations do down there. Um, Why do you spend time down there? What's going on down there? I have a, I have a little house there, um, so I spend as much time there as possible. Because, like I said, I'm sick of Brooklyn. <laughs> Damn! So you got a so, house, you have a house in Brooklyn, a house upstate, and a house in the Dominican Republic. I uh, it, well, the house in the Dominican Republic is really a cabin. But yes, I have a little bit of. Well, the, my thing is, I'm very much of a nester, and I always have been. I'm very nest like I have to have my little nest. But I'm also very um, what's the word? Uh, I get restless. So having all these little houses is kind of a great combination. Like, I'm restless, so I'm going to go nest over here. I'm restless, so I'm going to... Uh, my husband and I met in Spain, so we both speak Spanish. Um, but, you know, also I've been having a midlife crisis for like since 9-11, basically. I, I, I so, was going to say, I've been having one since I was like 24. You know? <laughs> okay, so, so I've been having one since I was like 32 or something. So, but And the buying the houses is part of that. And I also, um, you know, I have kind of an eye for it. I probably should go into real estate. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it keeps me busy. You know, I don't have a job like a lot of writers teach. Um, but I'm, I'm, I own a lot of homes. I have my kids. I have two dogs and two cats. And uh, and I keep my you know it's important to have stuff uh, outside of just writing. Um, yeah, I agree. So, you know, but what was the whole? Oh, and my dad was I think of this amazing you know who's just a really good Southern Christian and and not in that scary Bible Belt way and in, in the actual like liberal try to do the right thing and say the right thing. And that's my thing earlier. I was talking about kindness. And why I don't participate in any of the bitch culture. Like, if I'm going to be sitting in a playground and everyone's going to start one-upping each other on, like, where their kids go to school or, you know, how long they breastfed. Uh, I'm probably going to, like, I've done to, like, I'll whip open a magazine and start reading, which is really rude. But it's just, it's, that's okay, because <laughs> I don't want to hear about how you're better than me, because I, you know, only breastfed for a year. Um, uh, so the kindness is a big, uh, big part of... Um, in some people's lives, but not, and then, but we are all flawed. Even the best, I'm sure Jimmy Carter did some of the wrong things. In fact, I, I was happy to find out, like, he spanked his kids because that's what everyone did in the 50s. And I was like, see, he wasn't perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Although then he, but then he was like, God, uh, you know, I didn't read the whole book because I just couldn't take it. But, but he said, now I realize that that probably wasn't, you know, the way people are doing things now, the way they discipline their children now is better. And I'm like, oh, and you just have to be self aware of that. Like, you don't, you're not even defensive. Like, well, that's what we all did. Right. <laughs> Thing, you know, he was like, you're right. Uh, anyway. Well, but you know what's interesting so, about him is like uh, he, he's like the only president of my lifetime who didn't drop a single bomb, I think. Uh, yeah. And, he, and you know, he really didn't. He like didn't act aggressively militarily. He was a, a peaceful president. And he, he was. And his po- the popular perception of him is that he was a shitty president and he was weak and like, you know. Like, right. And sucks. I don't – I actually have a Jimmy Carter fascination he were my, uh, my father's, you know, they're both Southern from kind of, um, you know, this, and they just had the same kind of the manner of like trying to do the right thing. Did he always do the right thing? I'm sure he didn't, but really that's, that's what he was really trying to do. And uh, the great thing about writing for me is I get to be, do the absolute wrong thing. And it just feels great. I love that. You know, like she's going to have sex with this guy on the side of the road and then she's going to get high <laughs> while she's pregnant. And like, but in real life, I do try to do the right thing. Um, and, and I think that making art or whatever, like that's where you get to really, re- like I get to rebel. Uh, Cause it's hard, you know, it's hard to do the right thing. Um, well, and it, yeah, I think you also maybe learn something about, how to behave 
by working through things with your characters. You know what I'm saying? Like it's I, yeah, yeah, or or just certain things. I even like I think I learned uh, a lot about myself. Right? Yeah, you learn stuff about yourself writing books. Yeah, I think I have this big. Thing. I mean, I think that. Um... You know, the essays that I've read or, you know, every once in a while there'll be an article somewhere in the New York Times or wherever it is about the therapeutic benefits, the, having a child write down a story or blah, blah, blah. I think that stuff is totally true, um, especially like a long form project like a book, whether it's a collection of short stories or a memoir or a novel, whatever mm -hmm. it is. But if you have a, mm -hmm. a huge long time commitment of deep thought and an attempt to communicate clearly and parse it all, that has to work. That makes total sense to me. You know, it seems, yeah. it seems obvious. And, uh, I just wish that, I mean, I guess it's like so difficult to sit, you know, to maintain that discipline and sort of painful to sit there. <laughs> so I find it terribly painful. I don't like some, I, I find writing like squeezing water out of a rock sometimes. And yeah. yet I, and then I'll have some easier times, but yeah, no. And the, the worst is getting started sometimes like an hour in, I'm like, okay, you know, uh, but yeah, no, it's not easy. I, I, I'm one of those bang my head on the desk people, actually, like really do. Like, don't bang it hard to bruise myself, but you know, out of just, uh, you know, at least to make that gesture, I'm banging my head on the desk right now. You know? <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, well, listen, I have so, uh, I've so enjoyed talking with you. This has been great. And I congratulate you, uh, on the books and the upcoming book. And uh, I envy the fact that you um, have these houses. I, I can't. <laughs> go, every, everyone goes down my house um, in the DR. So many writers go down there, and it's like the writer. There's a you can even check in on Foursquare. It's like a literary retreat. Uh, <laughs> Don't so I'll, I'll, every, keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody listening, please uh, contact Paula if you want to go stay at her house in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Um, but no, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. well, thank you, Brad. It was great talking to you. I really appreciate your time as well. Okay, there you go. That is the program. That is Paula Bomer. Go get her novel. It is called Nine Months. It is available from Soho Press. You can find her online at paulabomer.com. She's also available on the Facebook. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed at Other People Pod. I have a Twitter feed at Brad Listy. If you would like to read my self-conscious tweeting. The show has a Facebook presence, and if you want to email me and let me know what you think, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And hey, don't forget about that app. Go get the new Other People app in the App Store or the Android Marketplace, depending on your device. Uh, is that what it's called? The Android Marketplace? The app is free. Once again, it is free. You get 50 episodes for free. And then if you want the premium access to everything... Just go to otherpeoplepod.com and click on premium access in the menu bar. Or if you're in your app and you're looking at all the episodes, uh, some of the episodes will have a little lock symbol next to them. That's the premium content. You click on one of those episodes and then you'll get the prompt and you can pay from there. Okay? Okay. Please remember that Pericles died of the plague and that Wittgenstein had nephews fighting on opposite sides during World War II. That is, I think pretty much the gist of it. I will be back again soon. Thank you as always for listening. Thanks to Paula Bomer. Thanks for getting the app and for supporting the show. Uh, please get the app. Okay. I'm, I'm hammering this way too hard. Uh, I just, I put a lot of work into it. I spent time. There was technology stress trying to get it all figured out. I'm worried about it now. Uh, I want people to like it. I want social approval. The app is free. Did I mention that? Did I mention the app? The app.